Amy from TCIA here, and I've stolen the advertising slot that's typically reserved for podcast supporters. But this is important, and someone handed me a mic, so here goes. TCIA is currently building out our educational agenda for TCI Expo 2022 in Charlotte. And as we look to diversify our speaker pool, we want to feature more women speakers as part of the main program. And in case you haven't heard, March is Women's History Month. So my request to anyone listening, especially my female arborists, let's make some history. Nominate yourself to speak at TCI Expo. Nominate a friend. Nominate someone you admire. Too often we sit back and assume that we aren't ready to speak, that we aren't professional enough, or that someone else would be better. But you are ready. You are professional enough. And who cares if someone else is better? The action of recognizing your unique perspective or those around you and putting yourself out there is a step in the right direction of making history for yourself and this show. So email me at atatro at tcia.org and I'll share the call for presentations link with anyone who's interested. And the deadline for submissions is approaching quickly. We'd love to have everything by March 16th or so. And listen, just because you throw your hat or someone else's hat in the ring doesn't mean you'll get the job. As the TCIA rep, I feel this is an important reminder, but listen, we've all got to start somewhere, right? Let's all work together to feature more women speakers as part of the main TCI Expo program. By the way, I think it's important to note that we are looking for business, safety, and arboriculture related topics. Quite frankly, we need women to speak on industry topics, not just women topics. See you in Charlotte. This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by Kopma Cranes, the most competitive knuckle boom crane for the tree care industry. Unleash your full potential with Kotma for tree care. Kotma cranes are built for heavy duty applications with the best hydraulic technology to maximize your reach and lifting capacity like never before. Kotma's tech team, together with the unique know-how of tree care professionals, has developed the ultimate top range cranes models for grapple saw applications. Extra functions to the tip with no diverter valves are making it ready for the grapple saw. Kotma represents the edge of mechatronic innovation thanks to superior oil flow with five eighth-inch hoses directly to the grapple. A true 100% stability at 360 degrees angle with the possibility of Kotma Remote Connectivity 4.0, a unique GPRS communication for diagnosis and remote adjustment of parameters in real time. Kotma cranes have been built since the 60s with the highest grades of steel resistance and the most reliable and advanced Italian design and engineering, made to outperform an intensive use in the field. Visit cpsgroup.com for more information or contact your local Kotma dealer. Hello everybody and Joe, thanks for having us. My name is Vera Levangi and I'm the executive director co-founder and lead instructor of the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. As a, a certified arborist, a Connecticut licensed arborist, I, I love the tree industry and I love what I do. My name is Rebecca Seibel and I am one of the lead instructors with the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop. And because I know when you're only listening in audio that it's difficult to tell Bear and Melissa apart, <laughs> that perhaps I'll put my voice in between the two of them and make it easier on everyone else. That's a great idea. Thank you. Thank you, TCIA, for having us and, and Joe for taking the time to uh, talk with us about 
women in the industry. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Joe, and thank you, PCI. I wanted to echo both there and for Rebecca's uh, welcoming comments. My name is Melissa Lavanja Ingersoll, and I am an arborist and a tree geek and a co-founder of the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop. I also am a lead instructor as well. And with another hat, I, I have many other duties, and I work for a company called RBI Shelter Tree as a customer engagement and experience leader. And it's a joy to be here to represent women in our industry. So thank you for including us. Thank you, everyone. So I'm going to get into the first question, which is what I ask most of the guests on the podcast. But how did each of you get your start in the tree care industry? Did you find yourself just falling in or was it a, a purposeful choice? This is there. That is, I love how you led that in. Did you just happen to fall into it? Um, I started in the forest in forestry and with a degree in forestry and started in, in the forestry industry and then could not find a full-time job, left the career and then did many, many on jobs, um, but always just stayed in nature. And then many years later, I have a person that looks exactly like me, Melissa. Um, and she said, hey, have you ever heard of arboriculture? And I said, no, what is it? And then I never looked back. And that was many, many years ago. And so that's how I ended up in, in arboriculture versus quote unquote trees in forestry. I made the switch. This is Rebecca. I uh, started out with a degree in biology. And I always thought that I would be a college professor doing research and teaching and uh, in environmental physiology, which is not quite like arboriculture. Uh, but I found that I did not care for the extreme bureaucracy of higher, higher education. And the teaching actually wasn't my, ironically, wasn't my favorite thing. <laughs> I now find myself teaching, uh, teaching and training almost all the time in my uh, full-time position, I'm the director of training for North American Training Solutions. So between between that and instructing in the women's tree climbing workshop, uh, I, I spend almost all of my time and energy teaching people. So I didn't purposefully end up in the field of arboriculture, but I found myself working a job after graduate school for a, uh, a tree care company where I got to work in the field for them uh, doing all sorts of plant health care, tree and shrub pruning. And, and then I moved into sales, consulting and sales for them. After that, I started my own company, ended up selling it later down the line. And I didn't start climbing full-time until I was about 38 or 39, which is a little bit flip-flopped of the way most people you know, work in the industry. Um, but so far, so good. Um, this is Melissa. Um, I got my start similar to where Bear was. I grew up in a rural part of Massachusetts, climbing trees, hanging out in the forest as a kid, being a total tom boy, tom girl, however that expression goes, and just loved being outdoors. And when I wanted to grow up as a kid, I knew I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be in trees. I wanted to be in nature. So I, I searched and searched and thought I wanted to be in physical therapy, landed myself in forestry, Forestry was fun. I went to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Uh, forestry was fun, uh, but similar to Bear's experience, it wasn't the right fit. And so uh, a professional friend of mine and who had become a mentor without even realizing it said, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> and, I, and I recognized that 
he was spot on. And really what it boiled down to, he said, well, have you thought about arboriculture? I said, I don't even know what you, I don't even know what you just said to me. I don't even know what that word is. And so he had a good chuckle and a good laugh over it. And uh, he said, well, it's basically what you do now with forestry, but you get to work with people individually and with how trees interact with them individually. And I was like, well, that sounds great. So learned a little bit more about it. And lo and behold, I ended up at um, my first ISA conference and saw people in a climbing competition and my mind was blown. It was ironic because I didn't even know that, that was part of arboriculture, the way beyond caring for trees that there was an actual competition component to it. And being an athlete, my mind just went, oh, yeah. <laughs> so learned that and and really by by being mentored by others, by colleagues, by friends, and by now my tree tribe, I got pretty good at it. And along that way, just lots of women just kept asking me, you know, what's it all, what's it all about? So um, it, it has been an unbelievable industry. I can't, I wish I found it when I was in my teens, not when I was in my almost 30. And I, I finally found my tribe. I found my people. And I love what I do. I love the people I work with. It's a great, great industry. Thank you all for sharing. You know, I appreciate the perspective that you each bring to the industry. And I guess for me, one of the questions I have is, and I kind of know, but what is the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop? And what is the history behind it? Wow, that is a mouthful right there. Um, we could spend a whole hour on that, but I'm going to give you the abbreviated version because I have, I have some wonderful um, help on this call. So when I forget all the, the good stuff, they'll, they'll give me some tidbits to chime in. So again, this is Bear. Uh, the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop got started in 2009. And it, like Melissa had said, it was more about more women asking, how do I get involved? How do I get involved? How do I learn how to climb? Who, where can I go? Who can I learn from? At that time in the profession, it was very, very hard for women to quote, truly get off the ground, whether it was in climbing or whether it was just getting your foot in the door being a, a ground person. And so there's a really, really great movie called Field of Dreams. And if you build it, they will come. So we built it. And the first time it was a one day workshop and there was 35 people there and it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. It was overwhelmingly fun and there was way too much to do and not enough time to do it. And then the overwhelming feedback was, oh, it needs to be two days. And then it needs to be three days. And then it needs to be a week long. And then it needs to be a whole month. Well, recognizing that most people can't take a whole month off to, to do a camp retreat, we've, we've recognized that a good model and now continue to do the workshops and other trainings. And so the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop basically got developed because there was a need and the need is still great. A lot of people, especially with COVID, are shifting careers now more than ever because they're recognizing that A is life is short and B, when you're stuck with a pandemic or you're faced with something, a critical moment that makes you reflect on your life, you want to do your passion and more and more people find trees as their passion, but just don't know how to get their foot in the door. And so that's really where we come in and we can provide opportunities for people. Wow, Bear, that was spectacular. I will just add that the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop is a, is a special, uh, it's, a, it's a work workshop and it's also got elements of, uh, as Bear alluded to, a bit of a retreat. And so as such, it's different from other 
teaching and climbing experiences where the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop is able to provide a safe place for climbers who happen to be women to do things that they're not, that they don't have the space one way or the other to do at their day job. And that truly is a need that isn't met, you know, in the normal day-to-day workplace. And, and we're honored to, to be able to provide that. And uh, we have employers who vouch for it. They say, well, what did you, what did you do to our climber person that we sent to you for three days, for two and a half days, because uh, she's changed and for the better. And it's a skill set that, uh, again, for one reason or the other, they weren't able to develop on the job. And we can, we can do that in that sort of situation, that kind of uh, setting. Yeah. And one thing, it's been brought up a couple of different times on the, the podcast, actually, from, I say, a bunch of different guests, but I don't know the exact number, but people have gone to the workshop and they said they've come out they felt totally changed to the point where they're, to me, it seems like you guys are underselling it just a little bit because these, these women are going back to the workshop over and over again in some cases. And I kind of want to ask, in your opinion, why do you think they're coming back if it's just, you know, a work workshop? I believe that people come back to the workshop over and over again because we create a safe space, because we create a fun space to learn, and we don't let people not challenge themselves. We do it in such a way that we encourage them to do it when they're ready, but we're not going to take no for an answer. And I don't mean that we're forcing people to do it, but we're challenging them beyond what they are. They think that they are capable of and what others have asked of them. And so a, a really good friend of mine once said to me, There's no success if you get pushed over the finish line. If you do all the hard work and you cross that finish line on your own power, that's where, that's where the power comes from. And that's exactly what this workshop is about. It's about seeing a vision or place where somebody wants to be being encouraged along the way and given the skill sets to do so build camaraderie and team and truly a tribe to build that encouragement outside of the workshop where they develop a literally a network of people and then they they do all the work (laughs) so by the time they're crossing that finish line hands are up high in the sky they're tall they're strong their confidence their voice has been found and and that is a very intoxicating feeling to feel so darn tall in in a, a three days where you may not have had that chance opportunity or situation to push you into that environment. And I think that's one of the reasons why we get repeat people over and over again. It also develops, a, a, if you will, a, a safe space for mentoring and coaching for others. So some people don't ever realize that, that they've envisioned themselves in a, in, a, in a coaching or support role for somebody else. They didn't, they didn't realize that they had value to bring and they didn't know that until they got there. And you watch these people truly blossom in front of you, that you, you watch the, a light bulb go off. I mean, we all have had that experience in our lifetimes, whether you've been learning it or you've been sharing it. And that, that is just so empowering. And that's what that's all about. Thank you. And to ask the loaded question, 
from somebody who's more on the outside of the industry coming at it from the marketing perspective. So I don't see the day-to-day runnings of most tree care companies, but why is a safe space for a workshop like this needed for an education opportunity? Wow, that's an awesome question. Joe, when you got started in your world and you were at that, that you were at that point, that dabbling point where people like, well, you could do this and you could do that and you could do this and you could do that, but you weren't quite sure what your direction was. Did you just put your foot down and just say, okay, I'm doing this? Not at all, no. Right? And so it's more about people giving you opportunities and then encouraging you or mentoring you to say, well, have you considered this? And this is all the, the attributes you can think about. Have you considered this avenue? Have you considered this avenue? And giving people options, but also giving people tools for success. So that safe space is giving giving people success, whichever direction they should choose. And a lot of times when we go to companies, they have a very specific role in which they see us, but they they haven't met us and they don't know our skill set except for what we present on paper or an interview. Oftentimes, those skill sets that are deep within us have to be developed, A, have to be recognized, B, and then and then that person soars and they and then they become an eagle. Well, they might just come in as a, they might walk in the door as a chicken. And then within a week or two weeks later, they're an eagle. And now they're running a whole department of your, of your business. But that, that quote unquote space is allowing that to happen. If you pigeonhole an employee or an intern into one spot and one spot only, they'll never grow. You have to be able to be flexible with your business and with that human being and allow them, allow them to wiggle this way and allow them to wiggle that way, lift to the right, maybe forward and back, and actually take some, excuse me, sometimes take a few steps back before they can jump three steps ahead. So that's that's where that space comes in. I do like that. It does make a lot of sense. So looking on the website and hearing the testimonials from past podcast guests and past attendees of the workshop, empowerment is a word that comes up a lot when it comes to how did you feel after the workshop was done what does that mean to to each of you and how does i guess how does it work to empower somebody else at a workshop like this i think to empower someone else and we do this deliberately at the women's tree climbing workshop means a lot of things the first thing is it means that our ego gets set aside and in order to let the other person shine with guidance to be the the guardrails, if you will, so they're not going to go off the road, um, you have to be able as a as a trainer, as an instructor, to let go of your own agenda. So one thing that happens frequently with a woman, and let's remember that if you're a woman in the field and you want to learn how to run a chainsaw or climb or do removals you're already part of a very small group of people. I mean, the arborists of the world are already small. And then take the the people who are women, who happen to be women who also want to do this job. So it's already a very small percentage of the overall population. What I see a lot is not only a lack of opportunity, meaning that if there's a, a woman who works on a crew, she may work as a ground person for two or three or four or five times as long as her male counterpart without getting the opportunities to do the same things that the male counterpart has had an opportunity to do much sooner. So that coupled with when 
you know, one of the, the women in the field gets the opportunity is something I like to call the, uh, it's almost like, oh, well, well, we did, we did give her a chance. It was a, but it was a sideways opportunity, meaning she had a, she had a chance and she had five, four, three, two, one, and now your time is up. That was your chance. Don't even say that we don't give equal opportunity. Or you may see, you know, a crew leader trying to, trying to give someone a chance. And we've all been there where, you know, oh, let me show you how to do it. And then the person takes the chainsaw out of your hand. And in the end, you actually don't get the hands-on experience. The Women's Tree Climbing Workshop is the opposite of that. We have incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, incredibly patient trainers who are very capable of setting ego aside. And when you set your own ego aside, that's when the magic happens. One of the other things that gets brought up a lot, in addition to just the training and education portion of it, a lot of what we hear is mentoring. What is so what is mentoring to you and how does one go about finding a mentor in your world? Does it seem like I know everybody has a different approach of how they do a mentor, whether it's a formalized mentorship program or it's an informal connection. There's a lot of ways to approach it. How how do you all approach something like that and finding the support and the help that you need for a long term uh, like success. Um, that's awesome. I really appreciate that question, Joe, a lot, uh, for a numerous reasons, but one particularly, because that was my experience. I would not be in this industry if someone basically took notice. We've all been in those situations, whether you're in the tree industry, whether you're in engineering, whether you're in nursing, whether you're in photography, or if you're a dancer, it doesn't matter what field of, or what area of, of interest that you have. If you show if you show passion and interest, there will definitely be there'll definitely be somebody that notices that. And so there's a combination between mentoring about being, uh, if you will, engaged by somebody in that field or in that passion to you. And if you're open to receive, paying attention to the door that just opened that you didn't even realize, unless you're actively paying attention. So I think it's I think it's two part. I don't think it's I don't think it's you as an individual looking to learn something, you have to go seek somebody. I think it's a combination of you being passionate about whatever it is. And we'll, we'll speak trees for right now, being passionate about arboriculture, being loving trees, wanting to climb and recognizing this is what I love to do. And as soon as somebody starts asking you questions from that industry that you're either starting to dip your toe into showing a bit of interest and they start asking you questions, you seize that opportunity. Like it's your golden ticket. Here's Willy Wonka and you're going in. And this, I'm not saying no, I'm not taking no for an answer. Because the beauty about that, giving the opportunity to have someone else share their passion with you about what you are already knowing, what you want to go for, gives them the opportunity to literally um, explode with excitement. They're just, oh my God, I've got a young whippersnapper that's looking for more information. And all of a sudden, you're feeding off of each other. And even though that, that relationship isn't necessarily a mentorship, what you both recognize in each other is the connection has been made for you for that momentum to continue forward. That person might not be your mentor, but they can understand how you work as a person. And if they can't necessarily make the suggestion for them to be your mentor, they might make a suggestion for somebody else. And vice versa, if they don't have that capability, you might be able to say, so, so-and-so, 
you might not be a mentor. It might be you might not have that interest in mentoring me. Who else do you know that might be able to give me some time to coach me or just walk me through or just have a conversation? Can you connect me to somebody else? My personal experience has been that. Somebody showed interest in me. I am where I am at. And I've had the pleasure of mentoring others and having those people start asking me questions. And I recognize, oh, my God, they are so bit by the bug. Let me just completely overwhelm them with the right people that work with their personality. Because the right mentor for the right person is absolutely critical to make sure that that relationship gets established and both of them are getting what they need because it's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. Yeah, that all that all makes a lot of sense. Uh, the question I normally ask is what happens if the person looking for a mentor is on the more introverted side of things? You know, all of you are on the podcast, which means you're slightly more extroverted than than most people. But for somebody who is a little more introverted, all of that advice and coming from somebody who was a little shyer when I was younger, it's daunting because I would never go up and I would never accept no for an answer. I would be, if they said no, the first time off the bat, I'd be like, okay, I'm sorry. And be done. So as you're working through empowering people and doing all that kind of stuff, how does somebody who is willing to take no for an answer, how do they push through that initial fear of rejection or whatever it is to find somebody to mentor them? Is it more of an organic connection? Is it uh is it like a over social media type connection instead? What do you what do you normally see? Because I'm assuming you you all have people who come to the workshop who do fall into that category of being a little more shy, but still needing that that mentor. Yeah, uh, this is fair. Um, that is a, such a great insight because one of the beautiful things about our workshop is we work with an amazing team that all have different personality types for a reason. Some of our team is extrovert, some of them introvert, some is a combination of both, some are book learners, some are hands-on learners, some are a combination of both. No different from you as a young professional trying to get into the field of, of arboriculture. If you are uncomfortable being on the telephone, send a text message. If you're uncomfortable using a text message, send an email. If you're uncomfortable sending an email, write a letter. If you're uncomfortable with all of that, you might volunteer for an organization that you know that person's going to be there. And you might ask to shadow them. Or maybe it's a tree climbing competition for, and they're looking for volunteers and you know that person's going to be there. Ask to work with them along their side. There's so many different ways to truly plant yourself as a seed next to your mentor so you get recognized. And oftentimes it's not about what we do. It's the actions we take when we're around our mentor that help us get recognized by that person. I absolutely adore that because what you just said about being extrovert introvert is so true. And I would say for a lot of our younger people coming into the industry, a lot of people don't understand what our, what our culture is all about. And it's, it, it is a tribe. It's just about finding the right people to help you along. Yeah, it is. It is a bit overwhelming. I remember when I started, you know, just being part of TCIA, I started in September of 2018 and immediately went to TCI Expo and was totally overwhelmed by the people, the equipment, the information. Um, so I can, and I was 22 or 23 at the time. So I can only imagine what it's like coming in at 18 and straight out of high school and hoping for the best into this. So 
It's so true. And especially as young people, a lot of people don't know they actually want to go into it. I mean, I think about the three of us and how lucky we were that we found it when we did. But we all three of us have recognized and many people that we come across and including women and people that don't identify as women or male that find this industry much if they find it younger in their life their whole world turns into an oyster because they found it so much earlier and they have more opportunities to explore it and different avenues of our of our industry. So they might, you know, later on in life, we all fell in love with climbing and that's what we stuck with for a little bit, but then we dabbled in this and dabbled in that and dabbled in that. If you find it younger in your, in your professional career, you can do more of that and more of that and more of that and fall deeper in love with trees and sharing your passion with the world more. It's just such an amazing opportunity when you find it at an earlier age. Yeah, I agree. Um, so kind of transitioning the conversation more out to all of you in this may or may not be a, a difficult question to answer, but last week on the podcast, we had April on and she's a, a female business owner. And one of the points she brought up towards the end is that sometimes because she's not a climber and out in the field and because she's part of the the office staff and the person running the office sometimes she finds it that she's an outsider in her own industry because that's not the glamorous part of tree care and I just kind of want to know what all of your opinions are on something like that because I'm sure it's a sentiment felt by not just you know women working in the office but really there are a lot of people in the industry feeling like you're an outsider in your own industry? I think, uh, I, I feel for April and I, I get it because uh, there is a sort of a, a white shirt, green shirt mentality in the industry. Uh, it used to be white helmets and versus any other colors of helmets for the crew leaders or you know the arborists who are doing the sales, something like that. I just think it it doesn't have any place because one is no good without the other. And that's the bottom line. And it's true because anyone who's an owner operator is all those things. So much like, you know, everyone should be a waiter or a waitress growing up, I think. So you know what it's like to be on the other end of that ticket. It would be, it would be great for, for uh, the crew to go, you know, shadow April for a day. And anyone would, would know that he or she would have a hard time doing what she's doing. And, you know, April may or may not be able to do what the tree crew is doing, even if she had five years of experience. And instead of being divisive, I would really like to change that narrative because this industry needs all good people. It's a real challenge to find good employees. And I'm not the first one to say that. Uh, so we have no business turning away people on any sort of basis, in my opinion. And we should welcome all the people who are uh, doing the good work. And uh, that includes, you know, it includes the women. It, it, it includes uh, non-binary folks. It, it, it includes people who are older. It includes people who are green. The tree people across the world are excellent people. And that's really what we should be focusing on. Uh, the rest is just skills and we all have different skill sets and, you know, thank goodness for that. Long time ago, one of my mentors spent a lot of time trying to address that issue. And what they did was with their skill set, they were also a business owner, but they were also a climber. And so to Rebecca's point where she once was as a business owner, as a climber, 
where I once was at as a business owner and as a climber. I think it's our job to make sure that we don't stagnate into one area or one or another and constantly be reminded about the skill sets that others have that allow them to excel at those jobs, complement them, but still make sure that you're paying attention to them and show interest in both, both areas of interest because we, we are only as good as our leasing and trained employee in any facet. And as tree care professionals, we must bond together to, to protect our trees. I mean, and the people are what are going to do that. We have to continually support our tribe to stay stronger, to support one another, to care for our trees. It's bottom line. Without trees, we don't have jobs. Without trees, we don't have life. So it's important that we support each other and make sure that the empowerment, the coaching, and the mentorship, the training and the skills are all recognized and continually enhanced to support one another. Yeah, thank you for for both of your perspectives. I think it's a lot bigger of an issue that can't be fixed by just one person. It's all of us having to work together and understand that on both sides, we're going to cause hurt feelings towards one another because we're working for the same goal, but in two vastly different capacities. You have to think before you speak or think before you act, which is easier said than done sometimes. But, you know, looking towards the future some more, what advice do you have for um, other women in the industry currently, whether it's somebody new, somebody existing, somebody just looking to get in, somebody, just anybody, really, what advice do you have? This is Bear. I would say if you're passionate about something, don't settle. Always be focused on striving to learn something new. And when you've learned that nugget, share that nugget. Always share your passion. Because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything. And the beautiful thing about our industry is there's always something more to know. It's so amazing. So whether you're you're learning about roots or whether you're learning about canopy or whether you're learning about mycelium or whether you're learning about ropes or whether you're learning about webbing or cranes or buckets or spider lifts or or or, or the wormhole in every avenue of arboriculture is there. And then all of a sudden you come up on the other side of the wormhole and you look around and you recognize, wow, I might know a lot about this. And then you start sharing and then it's infectious. And so more people start sharing. And so what happens to our industry is our industry gets more excited and it starts growing even faster. So it's really important to not settle with just the information that we have today, right now, is to constantly be focused on learning and growing and then sharing that information. Thank you, Bear. And if I might add, I would also encourage anyone who's in the industry that once you've outgrown a situation or the situation doesn't feel right, ditch it, leave it behind, get out of there. If it's a someone who's leading uh, with questionable skills, get out of there. If you can't address it and change it, if it's unsafe, get out of there change, change your situation. And that goes for men and women, goes for new climbers, and it goes for seasoned arborists. If someone, if you're doing plant healthcare and they promise that after a year or two, you'd be on the climbing crew and that isn't being honored, get out of there. Because the skills that anyone has, if you're a, a, a good employee and you have the skills to do, to make money in plant healthcare, or pruning trees or removing trees or operating a lift or 
you know, setting up uh, proposals for line clearance, you have a skill that's worth something. And what's not worth it is to waste your time with people around you who don't appreciate those skill sets. And that's, that's, that's wisdom I picked up from Mark Chisholm way back. He said, be slow to hire and quick to fire. And I think it's the same way if you're in a bad situation, you know, give it your best and then get out of there. Yeah, thank you. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And it echoes a lot of what we talk about when we talk about a company potentially not wanting to do more training or education. If it doesn't feel right and you know it's not going to benefit you, you can leave. And, you know, it's sad to say, but there is a shortage of good help. So if you are good help, you'll definitely find yourself um, in a place that probably will appreciate you. Yep. And collectively, if we all leave those people behind, then we can change the industry. And speaking of changing the industry, one of the other questions I had was, where do you want to see the industry end up? Uh, I, I guess I'll give it an arbitrary amount of time. So we'll give it maybe t- 10 years. In 10 years, where do you want to see the industry end up? I'd love to take the, the first stab or share of this. Since I've been in the industry, which is by far way of trees, is a very short period of time. This industry has changed a significant amount. And I am proud of, of where it once was and where it is going. And I want to see it just continue to exponentially grow the way it is, is projected. But I want us to go there in a way that, just like the, the start of the questions that you've done such a nice job at asking us and giving us a space to answer, Joe, thank you, is recognizing the people that get us there and support each other in our learning uh, endeavors not only for our own personal growth, but also to understand what we're doing and what impact we have on the environment. Without trees, we won't be here. And we are definitely facing a crisis situation. And we, as an industry, need to act. And we need to be confident and lead. And we are not leading. We are definitely reactionary as an industry. And I think we can do better. I think as tree doctors, as tree surgeons, to quote Dr. Alex Shigo, we are tree doctors. We are going to be more important than doctors caring for people. We are more important. And we're more important because we're giving the fundamental foundation for us to be able to breathe. <laughs> so I think we have a duty to each other and a duty to care for nature more so than ever. And I think that needs to have a big, gigantic punctuation point on that. I was just going to say the same thing, Melissa, climate change. We're, without trees on this planet, we don't live. And as an industry, that's what we do. And we oftentimes just focus on the day-to-day job of what we're doing, whether it's planting a tree, removing a tree, pruning a tree. We don't take the time to communicate with the public. We are the voice of the trees. And I just I just get a little stymied by the time that you know people are not sharing just small tidbits every single day about why they're so important and how we can keep them safe and how we can keep them protected. There was a presentation just shortly in the Rhode Island Landscape and Nursery Association. Tree healthcare, why should we care? Well, because it's not just our, it's not just our planet. It's everything that lives on this planet. It's not just human beings. And we are the tree care industry. We need to speak for the trees. I, I will add in that it would be a, a joyous future if we can uh, bring more awareness to the general public about how fantastic the outside environment is 
and help people to see what a, what a service um, in on two levels. First of all, how much skill it takes to be a competent arborist and, and to put that value in perspective that it's, it's really, to your point, maybe undervalued uh, all of our skills here as arborists. And that also uh, a lot of people need to see what we see, which is the view from the top of a tree overlooking the valley. And like Bear said, all the, all the critters, all the life that goes along with that and being able to then focus in on a micro level and really just be for a moment and watch ants going up and down, you know, the trunk of a sugar maple or be able to actually smell the fruiting body, you know, in a, in a tree and, and things like that, which is putting us towards a hands-on a touch and a feel and really what, what being in nature is all about that we could joyously share those uh, appreciations for the trees, which have been around a lot longer than we have. The last thing, just because we're coming up uh, the end of our scheduled time together, is there anything that you all want to talk about or bring up that we didn't get a chance to uh, during the rest of this episode? For me personally, I would love to just share with our the audience of this podcast is I personally feel very grateful. I'm very grateful to have been given the opportunity to be a part of the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop and to work with all of the instructor team, all of the volunteers, all of the students that have come through, all of the hosts. It has been an amazing journey since 2009. And without all of that support and without all of the love and care that has been truly developed along the way and fostered along the way, it wouldn't be what it is. I just want to share how grateful I am to be, to be a part of it and to be able to lead by the sides of these two women and the rest of the team who are all over the United States and in, in North America and Canada. Um, it is, is been a joy and an honor. I, I was just going to say the one thing I would just wish I had mentioned is I just want to thank all of our sponsors that have been along the way. Yeah. We could, we could not have done what we've been doing without the help of our sponsors. So that's, it's just been amazing. We love our tree peeps. I'm going to just throw one more thing out there. You know, um, it's amazing how time flies by and it, and every, every decade that we share on the earth with our family or with our, uh, with our friends, you know, you wake up and you're like, where did the time go? where did the time go? And then another 10 years goes by. I can't be that age or I can't be that age. There's just no way. And I just wake up and I just feel blessed every single day that I am truly a part of this team to echo most of the sentiment. The Women's Street Climbing Workshop is so much bigger than us. It has grown and grown and grown. And it's truly mycelial now. The network that we have at every opportunity, there's somebody that's been along the way that's made it grow and just blossom and it's time is so short and I just want to just continue continue growing and growing I'm just very grateful this episode of the TCI podcast is brought to you by the brand new TCI magazine website the digital supplement to the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry 
No matter where you are in the world, you can have top-notch content, timely industry updates, and cutting-edge advertisers you have come to expect from TCI Magazine for the past 30 years, all in the palm of your hand. The fully responsive TCI Magazine website breaks down years of content into neatly organized categories specific to certain aspects of tree care businesses, making it easier than ever to navigate and find articles on exactly what you're looking for. You can discuss articles in real time through the new commenting feature, as well as share articles with friends, family, and colleagues through the vastly improved social sharing. We've also been listening to you, our readers, over the years. And to make this content more accessible than ever, we've included article translations for nine different languages. So if English isn't your primary language, you can still enjoy the experience of reading TCI Magazine. So head over to tcimag.tcia.org to check out the brand new TCI Magazine website, the official website of the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry. That's tcimag.tcia.org dot org.